Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. We are in the middle of the Hebrew month of Shvat, and on the 15th day of the Hebrew month of Shvat, um, there is an ancient Jewish festival known by the acronym Tu Bishvat. Tu is the uh, acronym for the Hebrew number 15. The origin of this holiday is in the second century legal collection known as the Mishnah, and there it was described as the new year uh, for the trees. At that time, this was not a day of planting of trees, but rather uh, celebrating their existence and acknowledging the agricultural nature of the Jewish calendar. Some people think that the idea of uh, planting trees is part of the return to Israel and the creation of the state of Israel as indicated in the biblical text when you enter the land and plant any tree for food in uh, Leviticus 19 uh, verse 23. This morning I have with me Dara Lithwick and we're going to chat about ancient ideas of Tu Bishvat and modern ideas of Tu Bishvat. Dara describes herself as passionate about all things Jewish, the religion, the culture, the food, and the people. When not working as a lawyer in constitutional and parliamentary affairs, she is pursuing part-time rabbinical studies through Aleph, the Alliance for Jewish Renewal. When not chasing after her two young daughters, uh, her two young children with her parser Marcy, Dara loves learning and teaching about the law, Torah, and more. On select Sunday mornings, Dara is leading Temple Israel Ottawa's SAGE, Sunday Adult Jewish Exploration, a program of interactive learning about Jewish tradition and culture. Dara, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great of you to take the time um, from being here. Some of our listeners will hear in the background that you're at a um, child care group, um, and we appreciate your taking the time from your obligations of child care uh, to chat with us this morning. So perhaps we can begin with you telling our audience how you understand what Tubishvat is. Rabbi, as you were uh, indicating in your introduction, um, Tu Bishvat uh, is a new year for trees, and it's sourced back to the Mishnah, the second century rabbinic text, talks about four new years in the Jewish tradition. Uh, there's, there's a new year for kings and for festivals. There's the Rosh Hashanah new year that we have in the fall. Um, there is uh, a new year um, for uh, Shemitah and Jubilee years, and which all have to do with also with agriculture and for tithing cattle. There's a new year, and there's the new year for trees. Um, for and Shvat Tubi Shvat is the new year for trees, and it's 
Uh, sad is it's not biblical based. It's, it comes from the Mishnah, from the rabbinic text. Um, really does come from uh, the fact that ancient Israel was an agrarian society. Um, but even though that's where it comes from, today it really is so much more and really, um, I suppose, is a center point of, uh, for many, the Jewish environmental movement. Um, it is also an opportunity uh, that people around the world take to uh, help plant trees in Israel or um, send funds to help plant trees in Israel. And um, there are rituals that have developed, namely a Tubishvat Seder, which is an order kind of like a Passover Seder. So before we go there, let's just take a moment. Um, as both of us indicated, this holiday's roots are in the Mishnah. Mm-hmm. But... It's not clear how the holiday was celebrated in ancient days, is it? No, no, it's it's not uh, totally clear. There, there's some some stuff has been found, but let's let's maybe take it. It's all right. Talk, take a moment about why do we need to have a new year for trees? Why did the rabbi think this might have been something that was important uh, then? So, um, so even as you suggested, there were four New Year's identified in the Mishnah, and um, we don't um, have really um, any of them celebrated on a uh, consistent basis, um, except for Rosh Hashanah. Um, the others seem to um, have been lost in history, um, except Tubishvat which seems to have um, survived, um, or let's say been recovered by the ancient mystics, who we call the Kabbalists, with their um, creation of a Tubishvat Seder. Exactly. So before we talk about environmentalism and planting trees, since the Kabbalists come almost 500 years before any of that, um, perhaps you could talk about um, why the Kabbalists instituted something called the Tubishvat Seder. Yes, um, I would definitely... Okay, let's do that, and then um, I'd like to even back up, even if possibly a little bit further, to go into sort of originally Tubishvat and then where the Kabbalists took it. Great, that's um, terrific. So, so if you go actually into Jewish law, into Torah... Um, there are different laws pertaining to harvest, and again, ancient Israel was an agrarian society that required uh, that trees be aged. So, for example, the laws of Orla described a different legal, gave a different legal status to trees that were either three years or under, four years old, or five years or older. Now, basically, trees that were three years and under, you were not supposed to um, uh, eat the fruit from them, at all. You're supposed to leave them, let them grow. In the fourth year, all of the fruit for the tree is considered to be holy, and it's supposed to be, you know, given to, uh, uh, you know, as a tithing for the priests and the Levites uh, in, in the ancient temple and that sort of thing. And it's only in the fifth year that you eat the fruit so, it's so um, you know, that it may yield, you may increase, and this is sort of going back, you were citing, I think, Leviticus chapter 19 before. So, in a sense, the new year for trees, Tubishvat, became, uh, instead of sort of dating each tree individually, Tubishvat was like a, a fiscal year, you know, a, a date to, 
um, a cutoff date for dating trees and their produce to know, okay, is it, is it, are we able, is it, the, are we in the fourth year, are we, you know, do we have to do the tithing, or is it in the fifth year, are we able to start eating of the tree when we plant new trees? So it just, it, it added a uniformity um, there. So that's sort of the, the ancient roots, and there are some ancient customs or rituals that were associated, found in the Cairo, Geniza, uh, um, you know, similar to, you know, sort of these were just ancient texts. Maybe you were, can uh, sh- remind our listeners what the Cairo Geniza is. So these are a collection, essentially a collection of texts found um, uh, found in Cairo. Uh, I don't know when exactly they were excavated, but you think similar in idea to the dead sea schools, which were texts that were found in the Qumran caves, uh in in uh, you know just under a century ago or that sort of thing. So these were uh, artifacts, just remnants of uh, ancient texts that were found uh, a number of years ago. When that referenced um, uh, certain festivals uh, that um, occurred in Tubishvat that that Jewish community celebrated um, after the destruction of the Second Temple in the in in the period of exile from the land of Israel. Um, so sort of there was Jewish community in Cairo and when these texts were found, it showed that um, that there was a custom for Tzibishvat uh, to um, customarily eat certain types of fruits and, and grains that are mentioned in the Torah, um, of singing certain psalms, like the Psalm of Creation, Psalm 104, and various psalms of ascent. So I, I want to interrupt you for just one moment to make sure that our listeners are um, comfortable with all the vocabulary. When um, Dara was speaking about a Geniza, some of our listeners will know that when a, when a Hebrew text that contains God's name is no longer fit for use, um, it, it gets buried. However, in some communities um, of which... Um, um, Cairo was one of them, but not exclusively Cairo. Um, instead of burying the text, the texts were placed in a section of the congregational synagogue um, in which they were simply uh, kept there. Um, and they were kept there for generations. Um, and so a Geniza refers to a uh, closet in which um, ancient texts were um, uh, found. And so when Dara speaks about the discovery of ancient Geniza, um, this took place um, in Cairo um, after uh, a long period of time in which um, it was unknown. Um, so that's one of the things to just keep in mind. Um, and you were speaking about other aspects of the songs of um, celebration, yes? Exactly. So uh, traditionally, psalms were used by the Jewish people as the uh, ultimate expression of um, uh, Jewish celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, the listeners know of many of the Psalms that um, are part of the Christian ritual, but in Jewish tradition, they were uh, very much part of the liturgical tradition of the Jewish people. 
good. So go on and talk about, um, as you were, uh, some of the other aspects of Tu Bishvat. Okay. So Tu Bishvat, so this is why it's a New Year for Trees. It's a fiscal year end in a sense, or a start date for trees um, that was set by the rabbis and the Mishnah. Um, and it, it made sense. It was chosen to be then because um, it's the middle the 15th of Shvat, the Tubi Shvat, is precisely um, the middle of winter. Uh, the Hebrew calendar has 12 months. It can be split um, into four seasons of three months each. And the winter season is comprised of the three months of Tevet, Shvat, and Adar, in which Shvat falls in the middle. So the 15th of Shvat um, and, um, is therefore the middle day of the middle month of the winter. And... Every Jewish month, it's a lunar calendar and a solar calendar, a Jewish calendar. It's a, it's a, each month is based on a lunar calendar. There's adjustments made in different years to also uh, keep it with uh, the solar calendar. So every, the beginning of every Jewish month is always a new moon, and the 15th is always a full, full moon. So Tubi Shvat, the 15th of Shvat, is also the full moon, so that... Uh, is when the moon is full, it begins to wane, and the winter begins to fade into spring. So that is why, uh, ultimately, also there was another rationale for it being at that time, rather than at the beginning of Shvat, which is what one uh, school of rabbis uh, thought that it should be. There was a bit of argument between them. So even though this holiday was around, it was considered a minor festival, um, and it was relatively dormant, I mean, Cairo, Geniza, and all that aside, until it was developed by the Kabbalists, these are Jewish mystics, living in 16th century Tzvat, which is a city in the northern part of Israel. Now, trees and nature play an important part in the Kabbalistic understanding of the world, um, and the Kabbalists, who are also responsible for at around the same time, creating um, the Jewish um, uh, sort of liturgy around Kabbalat Shabbat, welcoming in the Sabbath. Um, So let's just take a step back to make sure our listeners are with us as we proceed. So so the Kabbalists are those um, medieval Jews um, who began to believe that um, within the Bible, there is there are secrets, and that if one were to know the right uh, code breaking system, you could um, uh, break the code of the Bible. And the task of the Kabbalist is to um, find the message that leads you to having your uh, closest connection to knowing God, not unlike other forms of mysticism. And so um, the Kabbalists, um, who were traditionally practicing Jews, went out of their way to discover uh, certain paths um, which would enable um, members of the Jewish community who wanted to become educated in um, this approach to uh, learn. Uh, 
um, and to find a path to God that was uh, different than the traditional legal approach. Yes, would that be a fair uh, description of the Kabbalists? Definitely, definitely. And for the Kabbalists and then the sort of their later evolving, you know, the Hasidim, which came after the Kabbalists and sort of followed in that their force, their their forceps, um, the the essence for the Kabbalists is that in in a, in a way anything can be an access point to a better and closer and greater connection with God and learning deeper secrets uh, about the universe and about God's mystery and about doing better in the world as well. And the Seder, uh, which means order, the Kubishvat Seder means an ordering, literally, um, that the Kabbalists created was based on their understanding of the four worlds or realms through which our universe exists. Now, these Four realms um, are prevalent throughout uh, just all elements of Kabbalistic um, thought and theology. And these four realms are nobility, absolute, creation, bria, formation, yitzira, and doing, asiya. And sort of... We, from a Kabbalistic perspective, the world that we live in, the things that we do, the way the, our level of consciousness in our day-to-day life tends to be in the world of asiya, of doing. Um, and yet, uh, even though that's where we are, the closer we, uh, the different, the mechanisms that they use, the keys that they use, the secrets that they open, brought them up through the world from asiya, uh, doing through Yetzirah formation to Bria creation, and absolutely is really sort of the highest level of communion uh, with with the divine. And so they use these words. Don't really you don't need to sort of remember these terms, but just the idea that these worlds provide linkage between our own universe and God, and that each world contains different elements, all of which are present in our. Uh, in our universe, uh, that's sort of the takeaway, and that the highest world, absolute or nobility, is as close to God as possible, and that sort of represents pure uh, spirituality. Creation begins to have physical aspects and materials, formation, uh, which is Yatira, the materials are formed, and again, the world of doing, the world that we basically live in, of uh, Asiya, combines all of the elements of the upper world to make the universe as we know and experience it. So they use the idea of these four worlds to have sort of four parts to the Seder with four cups of wine. And wine is, uh, with four cups of wine also in the Passover Seder, each cup symbolizing something else. So they sort of borrowed that template and they used it to create the Tubishvat Seder. And so. And so what they were trying to do, if I understand you correctly, is to, um, find new new meaning in an old uh, celebration that probably had been dormant for a while. Yes? Exactly. And they knew that the Jewish community, regardless of whether they were Kabbalists or not, knew of the Passover Seder by the 15th century. Certainly they knew of the Passover Seder. And um, they used this um, mystical approach to uh, try and bring both their own adherence and uh, 
other Jews back to a understanding of Seder. And I know that you in particular have um, offered uh, two Bishvat Seders at Temple Israel as they're often ordered, um, offered at other synagogues. But let's leave the Kabbalists just for a, a moment. And you alluded um, earlier to the fact that Tu Bishvat has become kind of the holiday for connecting environmental concerns to Jewish religious tradition. Um, and um, perhaps you could help our listeners understand the connection between the um, um, Tu Bishvat and environmentalism. Definitely. So as Tu Bishvat celebrates, it's a new year, it's a birthday for trees, um, it was not much of a stretch, and even within what the Kabbalists do and the sort of modern-day Tu Bishvat Seders do, um, to take uh, whatever lessons are found in the Torah and in Jewish tradition around trees and have that be really a starting point. And what you see coming from there um, is a uh, various messages on the need to care for the environment and sustain the environment in the sense of there's teachings in the Torah, for example, that even in, in among the laws of war, that if you're going to besiege a city um, and you need to use trees to, to make some of the, the ramparts or this or that or the other, that you're not to touch the fruit trees, you're not to destroy the fruit trees because those are, um, you know, those are important, those are sustainable, those are important for the future, they're where we come from. Um, there's other teachings that talk about... Um, how, uh, and you know, even going into the Talmud, there's this wonderful story, and I think this is sort of really connects to the, the, the modern environmental movement. This is, and we're, we're talking now something from maybe the 6th century. Um, and I'll give you this extract from the Babylonian Talmud, which uh, rabbinic teachings um, compiled between the 2nd and 8th century. One day, as a, a man named Honi, was walking along, he saw a man planting a carrot tree. Honey asked him, how many years will it take until it will bear fruit? The man replied, not for 70 years. Honey asked him, do you really believe you'll live another 70 years? The man answered, I found this world provided with carrot trees as my ancestors, and as my ancestors planted them for me, so I too plant them for my descendants. Um, in other words, uh, you know, this whole teaching is about how, uh, and it's through trees, about how um, we have an obligation to plant, to care, to make sure that there is produce, that there is sustenance for uh, the gen not just us, but for the generations that come after it. Um, so you've introduced our um, listeners, um, or reintroduced our listeners to the notion of uh, biblical uh, midrash, namely a story that's used in the tradition to explicate a particular point. And in this case, the lovely story of Honi, the planting of the tree, um, explicates something both from the Talmud and from the Torah. Many of our listeners are familiar that in the book of Genesis, in the very first chapter, when uh, God 
God creates humanity, he, uh, God tasks humanity with being a preserver of the world to be a guardian of the world. And, and Honey, in the story, um, suggests, look, I found the world in one kind of shape, and so it's my responsibility um, to leave the world in a similar shape, um, which is kind of the clarion call of environmentalists of all religious perspectives, to heed, to heed God's word as a um, uh, protector of the uh, universe. Um, and that connects the holiday of Tubishvat uh, through the story of Honey to the path of environmentalism. Um, we, we have just a few moments left, Ara. I'm wondering if you want to share with the listeners anything else about the importance of Tubishvat to the Jewish community today. Yes. Um and so there's, there's one more sort of teaching I want to share just because it's such a beautiful teaching, and it's exactly what you were just talking about. Um, and then and connected to, you know, again, for, for Jews, since the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, there have been significant efforts to reforest Israel's landscape. And so the, I was saying at the beginning, through the Jewish National Fund, planting trees in Israel has become a part of Tubishvat observance around the world. But back to sort of that duty to care for nature, I mean, it's become really an opportunity for different communities to, uh, and what we're seeing today is more and more um, synagogues and community groups, like having their own gardens, having their own um, programs for even just how they recycle and compost, partnering with um partnering with community-supported uh, agriculture groups, uh, so local farmers and doing things like that, doing programs um, like what exists here in Ottawa through the Ottawa, uh, that the Ottawa Food Bank oversees. Um, you know, there are groups that go, and this is, you know, different people do this in different communities in different ways, but, um, you know, there are farmers even around the Ottawa Valley where um, community groups, they don't have to be Jewish, these are any community groups or volunteers can go and help either at different times more in the summer, help till um, some of the field and then all the produce that you till like from the field as a volunteer goes then to the Ottawa Food Bank. And these acts of caring for each other and caring for the world connect very strongly with the Jewish concept of tikkun olam, repairing the world, and the duty sort of to care for each other, um, and and just sort of our general sense of social covenant of, of of the fact that we're all we're all in this world together, and if we don't care for each other, and if we don't care for our world, who else will do it? There will be nobody left to do it, and that's the sort of the teaching I'd love to end on. There's this beautiful teaching also on on sort of those first uh, parts of Genesis of, you know, when God created the first person, he took him and showed him all the trees of the Garden of Eden and said to him, see my works, how beautiful and praiseworthy they are. And everything I created, I created it for you. Be careful not to spoil or destroy my world, for if you do, there will be nobody after you to repair it. So 
What a beautiful teaching to end our show with. My guest this morning has been Dara Lithwick, um, who has taken time from her uh, childcare responsibilities uh, to share with us about the Jewish holiday of Tu B'Shvat, the 15th of the Hebrew month of Shvat. I want to thank you for being with us and sharing with us your wisdom of the tradition. This is uh, Rabbi Stephen Garten for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, wishing you uh, a good day and shalom. Shalom.